Our scripture this morning is Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 39. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. When he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I might preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of our Lord. You can be seated. That's a great video, isn't it? Good morning. You guys doing well? Where have you been? My goodness sakes. Well, thank you so much for the time off. Uh, those guys did a great job on that Jonah series, didn't they? Great job. Nancy and I watched faithfully week in and week out on YouTube Live. Thank you for joining us YouTube Live this morning. So we watched that faithfully. We also watched the, the weekly updates. Those are a blast. That's what you got a chance to see at the beginning of the ser uh, service this, uh, this weekend. And so uh, I'll tell you what, I think this has been probably one of the best vacations we've had in a while. Uh, my wife and I uh, swam in the ocean of God's grace and truth. We have uh, restocked our arsenal and we are locked and loaded. And so here we go. This is going to be a three-hour sermon here this morning. That's how filled up I am. So we got a brand new teaching series, and we're very happy you're here. We'll spend about four or five weeks on this. Reset from burnout to balance. From burnout to balance. We're going to talk about how to slow the pace or how to pace yourself. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 1. We're looking at verses 29 through 39. So you got the job, your family, the bills, your schedule. It's easy to feel overwhelmed and overloaded. How can you hit the reset and go from burnout to balance? I feel like I've lived my life a little bit like that, going from burnout to balance, from balance back to burnout. And so I'm going to share with you a lot from my own personal life and how I've been able to, and my wife and I have been able to maintain that balance through the years after 31 years in ministry just here at this church. And so God has done a lot of work in our lives. Uh, I'll never forget this. It's been a number of years ago. My kids were small, a couple of them in a stroller. My wife and my kids came uh, to watch me run in the Firebird Lake Triathlon. At that time, I was doing some 10Ks and half marathons and preparing for a, a marathon and was pretty athletic, doing a lot of running. And that particular morning, you guys familiar with where Firebird Lake is? Maybe a few of you. Uh, and uh, so it was a triathlon. This was kind of an unusual triathlon. It began with a six-mile run, 10K. And then you jump in the lake, 
and you swim a half mile, and then you get out and you ride for 13 miles. I was feeling good that particular morning. Oh, my goodness. And I ran my best mile pace I had run for even a 10K. I was running about a six-minute mile, six mile pace. And when I hit that water, and I was that kind of at the front of the pack for the most part, a lot of people, hundreds of people, feeling really good. I jumped in the water. I could not catch my breath. I could not swim the traditional breaststroke style where you keep your head under the water and bring your head up like this. I had to do the famous dog paddle like this. I mean, I was like, all I could do to catch my breath, and so I tried to swim. You can't get very far like that with doing the dog paddle. I had hundreds of people swim over the top of me and nearly drown me. When I finally made it to the shore, by the way, that water, Firebird Lake, is horrible because they've had all these jet boats racing out there. It was oily. It was nasty. It was despicable. Uh, and so, anyway, finally I get out of the water. My wife's got the insurance man on the phone checking on the death benefits. And uh, yeah, so I said, of course. How I, what are the death benefits for this guy? Because I don't think he's going to make it out of the water. What do you think? No, she wasn't doing that. She was really concerned. I think she was praying for me. I get on my bike. I nearly heave my guts out. It was a horrible race because I started strong, finished horribly. And, and I've got this on your notes here. Life is not a sprint, but a marathon. You've heard that before. And if you don't take care of yourself and pace yourself, if you don't learn how to pace yourself, you won't be able to run with perseverance the race that is set before you. God has a race for you to run, and he wants you to run it with perseverance, but you're not going to be able to do it if you don't learn the lessons we're going to learn in this series. You've got to learn how to pace yourself. You want to finish strong. I want to finish strong. I want you to finish strong. And so, if you don't take care of yourself, pace yourself, you won't be able to run with perseverance the race set before you, Hebrews 12, 1. And listen to me, you're not going to be able to fight the good fight of faith. I'm telling you, it's a fight. The enemy's coming after you. He's going to take you down. So you've got to be able to fight. You've got to fight the good fight. It's a fight, but it's a good fight. And you're going to want to finish the race, and you're going to want to keep the faith. I've seen a lot of people defect from the faith. Because they didn't pace themselves. They didn't know how to keep their hearts filled up with the beauty and the glory of Jesus. I've seen a ton of people do that. I mean, I've been in ministry my whole life, and I've seen people come and go, and I've seen a lot of people crash and burn. I do not want you to crash and burn. Fight the good fight of faith. Finish the race. Keep the faith. 2 Timothy 4, 7. So here's the, the basis of this whole series it's found in Matthew 11:28 through 30. I'll just read you 28. Listen to these words from our Savior, very tender words. Come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He invites us to himself this morning. Now, this heavy laden, this burden and heavy laden idea here basically means, man, I'm out of bandwidth, I've hit my limit, and I got still tons of things to do. That would be one idea of what he's talking about here. You ever get like that? I got tons of things I need to do, and I'm out of energy. I'm shot. That's what he's saying here. But there's something much deeper here that he's talking about. Here's what it is, that there is an inconsolable human longing in every one of us. And if I try to fill that, if I try to fill that bottomless pit in my soul 
with something in creation, it will drive me, it will stress me out, I'll never get it done. There's an inconsolable human longing in all of us that can never be filled by anything in creation but only by the Creator. And our Savior came and He invites us this morning and He's saying, hey, come to me. Come to me and you will find rest for your souls. And let me tell you, He gives you a rest. There's a rest found in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a rest in Him that all the sleep, (laughs) all the vacations, all the medications can never give you. I mean, I've wrecked a lot of vacations because I was just too big of a hurry, all stressed out, and come back more exhausted than what I went. And so there's something much deeper in all of our lives that we need to address if we're gonna find the rest, and that rest can only be found in, in our Savior. By the way, you notice here, this is not Um, This is not a plan to endure. I'm not going to give you a plan to endure. He's not inviting you to a plan to endure. But this is a person to enjoy. He invites us to himself. It's getting to know him. It's walking with him. It's enjoying him. That's the essence of the Christian life. Nothing better. So I'm not giving you something to do as much as I want to give you a person to enjoy. I want you to be captivated by the beauty and the glory of our Savior because that is what will ultimately bring rest to your heart. So here's where we're going with the study. Slow the pace or pace yourself. What does it mean? Look at that. Why should we do it and how do we do that? How do we do it? It's all found right here in this text. Right here in this text. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Just take a deep breath. So, Lord Jesus, we come to you now through the study of your word. Make make us glad with the joy of your presence. And let us find deep soul rest in you. Teach us how to take care of ourselves and to pace ourselves in this crazy, busy, stressful, distracted, and anxious world so that we can run with perseverance the race that you have set before us to fight the good fight of faith, to finish the race, to keep the faith, all for your glory and our joy in your beautiful name, Jesus. And everyone said, amen. So, slow the pace or pace yourself. What does that mean? Now, anytime you study a text, you always want to kind of look at the context. Gospel of Mark was written by Mark, <laughs> and uh, you knew that. And, and John Mark is his name. He actually went on the first missionary trip with, with Barnabas, who was his cousin, and the apostle Paul Uh, I think it was Paul or one of the other disciples. But what's fascinating about that is that Peter is actually giving him a lot of this detailed information here. So he's kind of writing a lot of this down. But he was not a disciple, but around the disciples. And and it's a very fast-paced gospel account. I love the book. And he begins by giving us John the Baptist, the first chapter. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along here because it's really important to kind of see this as we walk through this text. You got John the Baptist prepares the way, Old Testament prophecy predicting the forerunner that would come and point to the Messiah, Jesus. And then you got the baptism of Jesus. And you guys know that something happened really pretty important at Jesus' baptism. Not only is it a revelation of the fact that Jesus is Messiah, but from heaven... A voice came from heaven, verse 11, and it said this about Jesus, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now stop there just for a minute. That's, 
That's Jesus kind of almost his, his arsenal, so to speak. This is, the re, this is the building of his arsenal. He's going to head into temptation and unbelievable trial, and his ability to get through the temptation and trial, as it is ours also, is based on what kind of an arsenal that we have, what kind of uh, orientation or grounding that we need in our lives. Strength, power, love, security, significance. It all comes from the Father. You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Because right after that, you have Jesus being tempted. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and Jesus being tempted. Let me tell you something about temptation. It's our superior pleasure in God that sets us free from the inferior pleasure of sin. Sin offers a pleasure but it's inferior to the superior pleasure that's found in God. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I love you like no one loves you, and I find deep pleasure in you. Those words are not just for Jesus. What's true of Jesus is true of those of us that have put our faith in Jesus. Those words should ring in our soul. Nothing will give you greater pleasure and take the pressure off of your life like those words. Jesus needed to hear that. There's almost this resetting of his life or this recalibration of his life as he begins ministry. And so he's able to head into temptation. By the way, let me also say that the pleasure, we've talked about this a little bit, but the pleasure in sin pales in comparison to the pleasure found in, in our Savior Jesus. That's just, that's a fact. So your ability to overcome the temptations in life is directly related to how connected you are to the Father. And then he goes right into ministry. Jesus begins his ministry, and actually some of the gospel accounts say that he prayed all night. That's significant. Before he chose his disciples, he calls out his disciples. And then in verse 21, and they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. I mean, Jesus is busy selecting his disciples, he's in the synagogue, he's preaching, he's teaching, and in the middle of a message, imagine being in here, and I've had this happen, there's, there's, this is something very similar to this has happened here, there's a guy that is demon-possessed, and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent. Come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. I love that. Listen, Jesus makes the darkness tremble. If you're on his team, you don't need to fear any darkness, anything demonic. Demons are for real. They can possess people. They cannot possess a Christian, but they can oppress a Christian. Believe me, I've been oppressed demonically at times, and it's not fun. It's not pretty. It takes a lot of spiritual warfare. You've got to be aware of what's going on, but that, that's for real. But Jesus speaks these words, and it says here, people were amazed. We've never seen anyone speak with such authority. No duh. I mean, look at him. He's the God. He's God-man. He's the creator of the universe. Of course not. 
I mean, this is God. The very words that he speaks are truth. And, uh, and at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Now, okay, now we pick up our text, okay? This is our text. Verse 29, immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her And Jesus said, no, no, I'm exhausted, man. That exhausted me over there in the synagogue. I can't do another thing. Do you have a room here where I can go and just hang out for a while? No, that's not what Jesus did. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her. And she began to serve them. Before we read on, let me just, let me say something about that. Here's what I want for you more than anything. I want you to be fascinated by the most fascinating man who's ever walked this planet, the God-man, the Christ Jesus. In fact, when I see someone that's fascinated by him, I know, I know that they know him. I know that they're walking in vital union with him. I know that they're studying God's word. The more you The more you know him, the more you walk in vital union with him, the more you study his word, I'm telling you, you will be fascinated by the most fascinating person that's ever walked the planet, the Lord Jesus Christ. What you have in this text here, it's quite quite spectacular. And he came and he took her by the hand, the mercy of Jesus. And not only do you have the mercy of Jesus combined with his mighty power, he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. You see, in Christ Jesus, we see virtues combined unlike we see anywhere else. In this text, we see his mercy and his mighty power. He shows tenderness without weakness, strength without harshness, humility without uncertainty, unbending convictions, yet complete approachability. Here's how I can tell when someone's really walking with him. Not only are they fascinated with the man Christ Jesus, but there's a humility about them, and humility, that humility that chases away any pride, and then there's a courage, there's a confidence about them that chases away any fears. There's a humble confidence in their demeanor, in their disposition in their attitude. That's, that's how I know that somebody knows him and they're captivated by him. And so, what do you do when your life has been touched by Christ? What do you do when your life is touched by Christ? Verse 31, and she began to serve them. Did you catch that? Pretty amazing. Love is the overflow of joy in Christ that gladly meets the needs of others. We have a lot of people like that here at Desert Breeze. So many of you have been touched by Christ. His mercy and his might, it's transformed you. And what do you do? Love is the overflow of joy in Christ that gladly meets the needs of others. Oh my goodness, I've been touched by him. I want to help others to see him too. I want others to be fascinated by him as much as I am fascinated by him. Let's continue reading in our text, verse 32. In that evening, at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. Let me just say, this is exhausting here for Jesus. Verse 33, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. He didn't want the news of him to spread too rapidly 
because there was timing for his sacrifice on the cross. So Jesus often was often busy but never hurried. This is what we see in this text. Jesus was never frantic, anxious, irritable, proud, envious, or distracted by lesser things. This is what's so profound about Jesus. Now, if you are going to pace yourself, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Or maybe it's not hurry for you. Maybe it's just distractions. I mean, we are crazy distracted in our culture. Yesterday, as I was reading in my devotional, uh, this is what it basically said. In a media-saturated age, we have many voices that come to us on TV, radio, internet, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, email, text message. We have the voices of family, friends, colleagues, and sometimes we have the voice of Satan tempting us to disbelieve God's word and to doubt that God has our best interest at heart. How do you hear the voice of God in the midst of the noise and distractions of of life. Maybe it's not hurry for you. Maybe it's just you're just distracted like the rest of us. Oh my goodness, we're inundated with information. We're so easily distracted. That's our culture. If you're going to pace yourself, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry, distraction from your life. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Hurry is evidence that my soul has not yet found its home in Christ. Now, I'm going to give you, like I do every week, I give you a lot of cross-references, a lot of extra stuff. I don't deal with a lot of this stuff. You have no excuse week in and week out to not have resources to study from. I mean, I give you tons of stuff. So this is what my expectations are, pretty high expectations. I, I expect you to take these notes and study all those cross-references and begin to take this message and apply it to your life. Otherwise, you're going to walk out of here and forget most of what you heard. That's why you got growing notes on your, on your notes. That's why we have small groups that actually go through the growing notes. So I'm giving you a text here, and I would encourage you to read this. You want to deal with anxiety? Read Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Here's my summary statement. Worry, stress, anxiety, distractions is inconsistent with those who seek First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's it. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, don't be like the, he calls them Gentiles, but he's actually saying unbelievers. Don't be like the unbelievers who are running here and there, every which way but loose. What should we eat? What should we drink? What should we wear? Oh, 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 no, oh, no. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried. Why, why would you, don't you understand? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Because if you are, that eliminates the stress, the worry, the anxiety, the distractions. Now, I've got a chart, it's on your notes. So where are you between busy and hurry? I tend to go back and forth between the two and that's okay because we have to keep recalibrating, hitting the reset button in our lives. And so uh, just kind of see where you might be. So busy, nothing wrong with being busy. You need to be busy. Don't waste your life. You wanna be busy for Christ, but busy, a full schedule. Hurry or distracted, you're preoccupied. That's your first fill in the blank. You got it? You're preoccupied. Busy, you got many activities. Hurry, you're unable to be fully present. So you can be in a meeting like this, you can be here and not be here. You know what I mean? I can't help but think that maybe some of you are here but you're not really here. Have you ever been talking to somebody and they were here, they were there, but they weren't really there, okay? Yeah, 
They're preoccupied, they're unable to be fully present, so busy in outward condition, hurry in inward condition of the soul. Busy, physically demanding, hurry, spiritually draining. It'll take you out. Busy, remind me I need God. So busyness, nothing wrong with that. It's just, it just keeps you at the feet of Jesus, relying on Him, trusting in Him. But hurry causes me to be unavailable to God. So that's, that's the difference. Hurry will make you preoccupied or being distracted. Preoccupied, not fully present. It's an inward condition of the soul. Spiritually draining causes me to be unavailable to God. I'm missing out on the best part of life, which is interacting with God, knowing God. I just, I can't hear him. I'm just too distracted, too much going on. I got to get from point A to point B. That's more important. By the way, I told you that I wrecked a lot of vacations. Just ask Nancy about that. We'd head to California and we got to get there. Everybody get loaded up. We're not stopping for bathroom break or nothing. We got to get there. We're going to run over everybody in, in, in route too. I mean, I did that way too many times. They were really stressful, and Nancy let me know about that, too. Said, we're not going on vacation with you ever again if you don't, you don't get squared away here. And that was just, I was in a hurry. I was in, well, I don't know why. Why? It's just, it's just insane. We'll talk about the why here. So that's the first question. What does it mean? What does it mean? We made that contrast between too busy, hurry. Why should we do it? Now, after one of the busiest days of ministry in Jesus' life, it says that he slept in until noon because he was so exhausted. Did you guys read that? No, okay. That was, that's not there because look at, look at verse 35, if you've got your Bibles open. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. So kind of, he's giving some details here. This is not legend because there's too many details. Giving really specific details about the life of Jesus. These guys were eyewitnesses of Jesus. While it was still dark, he departed. So he, he leaves where they're sleeping. He departs there and goes out to a desolate place. I don't want to be distracted kind of a place. It's the same word used for wilderness that's used early on in the chapter. Desolate place and there he prayed. So the practice of prayer was Jesus's highest priority. We see that. Remember he prayed all night before he selected his disciples. He's praying again. The parallel verse to this is found in Luke 4.42 and this is what it says. This is a beautiful verse. This is what it says about our Savior. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He often, that was a pattern of his life, to hit the reset button. It was all about orientation. I got to get reoriented because the stress of life gets my head spinning. I don't know which end is up. I got to come back and get grounded. It's about getting grounded. It's about being reoriented. It's about hitting the reset button and going, wait a minute. I'm run ragged here. I don't know why I can't say no, and I don't know why I don't have more margin in my life. There's something going on. I need to look inside. I need to connect with the Father. That's what's going on here. 
His highest purpose of prayer was, and we don't know this from this text because it doesn't give us the content of his prayer, but we know this from the life of Jesus. His highest purpose of prayer was not to get from the Father as much as it was to be with the Father. In fact, every time Jesus talks about God, he refers to him as his daddy as his father, very intimate language. In fact, his disciples were intrigued by how he connects with the father. And they go, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to connect with the father like you do. And he starts the prayer, the Lord's prayer, our father, our daddy, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Oh my goodness, holy is your character, your personality, all of who you are. You see the reorientation happening there? When I remember who it is that walks through my day with me, when I remember who loves me more than anybody, when I remember the kind of pleasure he finds in me, I'm rebuilding my arsenal so I'm ready to face any temptation or trial because I'm, in, I'm engaging, I'm being energized by the God of the galaxies who happens to be my father who loves me and adores me. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's, that's outrageous. That's out of this world. That's what he's doing. We need to hear that because anxiety, the word anxiety means to be torn into pieces, pulled in many different directions, such as in Matthew eleven twenty eight, labor and heavy laden. That's what, what's happening here. I'm just, I'm pulled in so many different directions. I'm so stressed out. I don't know which way to go. Ah, I'm stressed out here. And in the craziness and the busyness of life, we need to hit the reset button. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What's the purpose of my life? Why am I here? What's, what's life all about? Where do I get my meaning, hope, and how? I don't get it from my job. I don't get it from these relationships or my marriage. I get it from him. I need to come back to him so that I can be reset. Then I can respond to all the difficulties of life. Anxiety, worry, stress happens when the superficiality of our relationship with God meets the reality of life, meets the decisions and the demands and the difficulties of life. Our greatest need is to be convinced that God is greater than all my highs and lows. I've got to be convinced of that. And when I hear those words, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, that helps to hit that, re, that reset button. Here's the next point. You need to know this. This is a true statement. A, my public life is only as strong as my private life. I'm telling you, my wife and I would have never survived 31 years of ministry, not just ministry, but dealing with family and dealing with life in general if we hadn't developed a rich and robust private life with our Savior. Nancy and I spent tons of time connecting with God on our vacation and connecting with each other and going to a lot of local coffee bars, okay? Just enjoying life, but enjoying our Savior. Fill us up with you. We want you more than we want anything else. You know, I, I'm so thankful I got a wife that does that with me. I got a wife that's my drinking buddy, coffee drinking, and, and also, but also my, my partner in wanting to seek God with all of our heart. I help her. She helps me. We grow in our relationship with Christ together. She's as fascinated with Jesus as I am. And I, you know, it's just, it's absolutely amazing. And so that's, so our private life, my, 
my public life, my impact with people, your impact with people, your ability to navigate the, the, the difficulties of life, the decisions, demands, and difficulties of life is directly related to your private life. It's only as strong as my, my private life, your intimacy with God. It's your private life with Christ that gives you the capacity to successfully navigate and get through temptations to deal with the sin and suffering in this world. Listen, you're going to be taken out by the sin and suffering in this world. It's horrible if you don't develop a rich and robust private life with God. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. By the way, we're going to spend this whole series, I'm going to help you to learn what that means and how to do that. I'm going to share with you how I do that, how I connect intimately with God, how I sense His love. I feel His pleasure for me deep in my heart. I have deep deep, durable pleasure in Him, unlike I find any, any place else. That's what I want for you. And so we'll, we're going to talk about it through this series. Next week, we'll talk about how to fill our tanks. How do we do that? How do I connect with God? How do I fill my heart up with who He is? Nancy and I have a lifetime of experience doing this. We absolutely love it. It's the best thing about our lives is our private time with God. And of course, our corporate time when we hang out with you guys and celebrate Jesus together. We love that. Absolutely nothing better. And so, here's what I've learned through the years. And this is part of my resetting. When my, when my emotional response to life is off the, you know, off the rails, you know, it's just like pegging out on the meter. You know, I'm not responding well to life. And I have to come back to this. It's not what happens to us, but what happens in us that makes us or breaks us in life. It's not what happens to us. It's not your circumstances. I have to remind myself. It's not the circumstances. It's not these people. It's not, it's not the things that are happening to my life. It's not my circumstances that make me or break me. It's not what happens to me, my circumstances, but what happens in me, my character that makes me or breaks me. And my character is only shaped and formed and transformed and reset in my private time with God in communion with Him, and it is tested in circumstances. Circumstances will reveal the depth of your intimacy with God. So don't get, you know, you're not responding well to the circumstances of life. It's just, it's showing you, hey, listen, man, you need to get close to Him. You need to know Him. You need to know who it is that walks through your day with you, who loves you more than anyone. He finds deep pleasure in you. That's the Christian life. There's nothing better. And so here's what I would encourage you to do. The tendency for us, uh, you know, and, and this is where a lot of teaching, I hear a lot of teaching like this in American theology, is that they work hard on the character. Come on. Oh, you can do better than that. You know, they give you something to do rather than a person to enjoy. And it's the person that, that you enjoy is what transforms your doing in your life. So don't focus on being like Christ, having greater character, so you can respond better to the life circumstances. Focus on being with the Father through Jesus Christ. That's what will transform you. Focus on being with Him. Focus on being with Him. Focus on what it means to connect deeply with Him, to hear His voice. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. Connect with Him at that deep level. And that, I'm, I guarantee you, it will transform your life. Totally transform you. I know from personal experience. My wife knows that. 
Personal experience. Focus on being with Jesus, communion, and you'll become like Jesus. You'll have his character, and the circumstances will, will reveal that. See, what matters most is not the, accomplishes, the accomplishments you achieve. That's your public life. We make a big deal about everybody's public life and, oh, look at all the accomplishments and all that. What matters most is not the accomplishments you achieve, but the person you become. It's about the person you become. That's your first calling. Your first calling is to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's to connect with Him deeply. And then out of that, that develops character that can withstand the difficulties of life. I'm telling you, for the Christian community, it's going to get hard. The future does not look good for us, except for the fact that we have Christ. And He's going to... He's going to pour His Spirit upon us, and we will become stronger with greater character to face what's up, what we're up against. But the only way you're going to be able to survive that, fight the good fight of faith, and keep the faith, you've got to spend a lot of time with Him. Not just with Him individually, but corporately too, where we, we get to know Jesus, and He fills us up with all that He has for us. The busier you are, the more you need to spend time with the Lord. In fact, what's interesting about the life of Jesus, if you watch his life, it seems like the busier he is, the more he spends time connecting with the Father. The busier you are, the more you need to spend time with the Father. And when we are in a hurry, the very first thing to go in our life is our time alone with God. That's, that's true about all of us. So if I don't ruthlessly eliminate hurry from my life and give time to God, it will. Here's your next fill in the blanks. Okay. It decreases love. You're not going to have the love to be able to love even your enemies. I mean, the Bible says that he gives us such love that we're able to love even people that hate us and despise us and use us and persecute us. That's powerful love. It says in Psalm 63:3, his steadfast love is better than life. There's no one that can ever love you like he loves you. It's better. His love is better. Here's how I connect with him oftentimes. I said, Lord, your love is better. It's better than even Nancy's love for me. And her love is big, but it's not, it's not as, your love is even better. And that gives me an ability to be able to respond to her appropriately when she's not so loving, okay? Because believe me, there are times when she is not very loving. Okay, I'm... I'm more unloving than she is, okay? How about that one? That, that scores some more points there? Hey, both of us struggle with that. But when we're relying on Him, looking to Him, resetting our spiritual life on Him, it makes all the difference in our response to one another. That's the fact. See, if you have this love that is better than life, it, it rids you of all hatefulness, bitterness, unforgiveness, and then there's a joy. So if I don't ruthlessly eliminate hurry from my life and give time to God, it decreases joy. Psalm 4, 7, you have put more joy in my heart than when their grain and new wine abound. All the success in this world cannot give you the joy that only he can give you. That's what it's saying. See, this joy eliminates any despondency, despair, and hopelessness. It, it decreases peace when I don't connect with him deeply. Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep him in perfect peace, him whose mind has stayed on thee. I mean, this eliminates any worry and anxiety and stress if I'm connecting deeply with him. It decreases productivity. 
I'm not connecting with him, I'm not going to be able to have the productivity that I want. We'll talk about more of that in the series, and then it decreases my ability to hear God. Matthew 4, 4, man cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I mean, we take really good care of ourselves physically for the most part. Even more so should we take care of ourselves spiritually, and that's hearing God, interacting with God. That's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 4, 4. So let me ask you this. So there is a love and a joy and a peace that as you are in engaging and being energized by God that you can experience it will give you greater productivity and, and ability to be more sensitive to his voice. And what is the evidence of this Christian experience? This is what it is. This is what will happen to you as you begin to get rid of hurry and distractions out of your life. You spend more time with God. This is what's going to This is what you're going to be thinking. This is what you'll say. To keep this is worth anything. To keep this is worth anything. I've never been more satisfied. The stronger your private life is, the less you'll need human power or approval or comfort or control. None of these will enslave you. You can handle anything. And you don't have to scrounge around for love, joy, and peace from people, things, and circumstances of life because you already have it in your private life with God. You have all of the love and security and significance you'll ever need in Him. But we forget that. That's why you got to hit the reset button. Got to come back to Him. Got to have that reorientation, that grounding that only he can give to us. That's what Jesus is doing. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. That's what he's doing. He's connecting deeply with the Father. And and he invites us to do the same as he taught his disciples how to pray. Absolutely amazing. So how do we do it? Look at verse 36 through 39. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. (laughs) So, So remember, Jesus gets up early while it's still dark. He leaves his place. He goes out to a desolate place, and he's connecting with the Father. These guys wake up and go, hey, where's Jesus? Verse 37, and they found him and said, almost sounds a sense of urgency here, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Now, okay, listen to me. If you don't get the first point, by the way, I've got six statements here, and we're going to spend most of the time on the first one, probably won't even get to the next five. I'm just telling you right now, okay? And so, if you don't get the first one, you're not getting the next five. You will not be able to pull it off. Maybe for a little while, but you won't. You'll go back to your old habits. Old habits die hard. You're not going to do the, the next five. You've got to get the first one. You've got to get the first one. This first one is at the root of all of our issues. So here it is. These are all questions. So this is how I kind of work through the reset process in my own life. I ask myself a lot of questions. Here's the first one. Are you aware of what drives you to overload your life and to be in a hurry? Are you aware of what's driving you? Why do you do what you do? And, uh, and now, let me just say this. I understand that inflation is going through the roof. Maybe you've got to pick up a, a second job just to make ends meet for your family. I got that. That's hard. God's grace is sufficient for you. 
Or maybe you're working for a company and with the, the competitive market, they're putting unrealistic expectations on you so they can stay competitive and keep the resources coming in. That's hard. That's difficult. I, I, I feel bad for you, but I know God's grace is sufficient. You need to work through that and, and, and maybe try to set the best boundaries you can. You don't want to lose your job. I also know that uh, technology, there's a tendency to take our work with us wherever we go with our you know, smartphones and email and all of that. So you've got to learn times to how to cut that off. Just say, ah, I'm done. I can't pick that up. I can't look at that. I don't even think I ever looked at my email the whole time that I was away for, the, for a month. I, I just, I minimize all that junk. I don't even, I don't need that. I want to connect with him. I don't need that. That's trivial. I need you. You got to learn how to do that. Here's another issue that I think that a lot of us have is that we've, we have a whole generation that tries to get their fulfillment and their security out of their job. They're trying to get from their job what they should be getting from God, and that'll drive you crazy. You need to get that from God and then allow Him to lead you to the job that you need to take, but you can't do that. Now, here's the root of our issues. Once you kind of set those aside, here's the root of our issues. How many are familiar with this whole idea? I call it the Rocky Syndrome. Here's at the root of all of our problems. Beware of the Rocky Syndrome. How many have ever watched the movie Rocky One? Rocky One? You guys know what I'm talking about there? Okay, it's old, old movie. And in Rocky One, his girlfriend asked Rocky, asked him why it was so important for him to go the distance in the boxing match. He's driven to box, and I just want to go the different di uh, distance in the boxing match. Anybody remember what he re how he replies? Anybody? He replies, then I'll know I'm not what? A bum. You guys don't know that movie that well, do you? <laughs> then I'll know I'm not a bum. You probably didn't know this, that Rocky is a billion-dollar franchise with eight different films spanning five decades. They should have shut it off after the first one. <laughs> I'm kidding. Billion-dollar franchise, I mean. They made the money. But I'll know I'm not a bum. Now listen to me. Hurry, distractedness is driven by a deep restlessness. Remember what I said? Inconsolable human longing. We all have it. It's the internal murmur of self-reproach, the inner critic. And I'm telling you, you have an adversary that gets on that bandwagon and drives it hard deep into your heart. Like you are worthless, you are living a meaningless life, you don't matter. We all have that inside of us. The deep Restlessness is the need to prove ourselves, the deep unhappiness with who we are, the feeling that I'm not okay, I'm not acceptable. I mean, this is the result of the fall. Our, our rebellion against God, the subsequent uh, alienation from Him, leaves us empty inside. So we're desperate to fill this bottomless pit with something in creation as opposed to the Creator. That's what drives us. We are desperately trying to fill the bottomless pit in our soul. Here's what it looks like. It goes like this. We see this is proclaimed through the movies, the music, in our culture. So we got three enemies. We got an adversary. We got our culture that promotes this. We got our own sinful nature that latches onto this. I am what I do. My identity is based on my performance. 
I want to go the distance and I'll know I'm not a bum. What's the distance for you? What is it that will, you'll know that you're not a bum. That's the Rocky syndrome. I am what I do. It's my performance. I am what I have. It's my possessions, my pleasures. Have you seen my house? See my car? See the kind of vacations I go on? I am what others think, popularity. So we work and work to prove ourselves to ourselves, to others, to God. And no matter how good the work is, no matter how much we do, we're a slave to our own ridiculous expectations and the opinions of others unless we get that deep inner soul rest that only comes from Christ. Anytime I look to my performance, my possessions, my pleasures, my popularity to know that I'm not a bum, they will control me when I seek them. They will disappoint me when I get them, and they will devastate me if I lose them. Here's how I I do it, and I'll talk about this over the next few weeks. I always look at my emotional response when something that is more important to me than God is threatened, blocked, or lost. My emotional response to that reveals to me. See, our emotions reveal not only our values, those things that we love, but it also reveals to us our evaluations of life and how we work how we're seeing life and how we're navigating the temptations and trials of life and the difficulties and the demands of life. So I look at my emotional response. We'll talk more about that. I need to keep rolling here. I'm in a hurry to finish up this message this morning. (laughs) That was a joke. And so you must be at rest with who you are. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It's the work underneath all the work that all the sleep, vacations, and medications in this world won't cure. What is that work under the work? Let me just tell you just very briefly about Abraham, the father of our faith. It tells us in Romans 4.16, we all know this. God came to him and made a promise. He said, Abraham, I'm going I'm to give you lineage. You're going to have a family. You're going to have a big family. See the stars? That's how big your family is going to be. Oh, and I'm going to give you land. You're going to be rich and famous. But Abraham, that's your secondary reward. I'm your primary reward. He says that in Genesis 15. I am your exceeding great reward, Abraham. And don't forget that. And here's our problem. Here's our problem at the root of our problem is that we make our secondary reward our primary reward and it will never be enough and it will drive us in an unhealthy way and fill us with worry and stress and anxiety. And so it's making him our primary reward. If Christ isn't your primary reward, then good times can lead to overconfidence and spiritual indifference and bad times to discouragement and despair. The key to overcoming burnout is to make Christ your primary reward. So it's not what you do, it's not your performance, it's what he's done for you. That's what you're resetting. It's not what you have. It's not your possessions and pleasures, but what you have in Christ, your eternal wealth and the pleasures you find in Him. It's not what people say. It's not popularity. It's what He says about you. The only eyes in the universe that matter, the only opinion in the universe that that matters, loves you, adores you, sees you to the bottom, loves you to the skies. So it's that reset, hitting that reset. Now, you're on your own on the rest of this, okay? we've, We've already run out of time. And it's packed full. Okay, I'll give you the fill in the blanks. But 
let's hurry up and see if we can knock this out. Hurry, hurry. We're not going to hurry. We got time. But here we go. Here's the next one. So if you don't get the first one, you're going to get the next one. Do you divert daily, withdraw weekly, and abandon annually to reset your life? Here's the next one. Do you have good boundaries and margin based on God's purpose and priorities for your life? Let me just talk very briefly about this. Jesus knew the difference between the urgent and the important. He understood that all the good things he could do were not necessarily the things that he ought to do. So I I gave you a definition of boundaries and margin. You need to read that on your own. I'm not going to cover that this morning. This is how you define boundaries and margin. Boundaries are about learning how to say yes and no. Margin is having space between my load and my limit. Now think about it. Jesus wasn't just turning down an opportunity to play in the community soccer league. He said no to people who had diseases, diseases he could have healed instantly. Everybody's looking for you, Jesus. The more you are intimate with God, the less you'll be intimidated and bullied by people, things, and circumstances. That's what you see in the life of Jesus. Jesus understood his God-given mission. He wasn't driven by the needs of people, though he often stopped to help hurting people. He wasn't driven by the approval of others, though he cared deeply for the lost and the broken. Here's your next one. Do you expect difficulties but believe that Christ is greater than all your highs and lows? Are you aware of the temptation to live outside this moment and lose your sense of God's presence and many presence that he gives us, secondary rewards and blessings? You've got your primary rewards and blessings. You've got your secondary. Here's your last one. Intimacy is intimacy with God, your highest passion and priority. Now, here's what's fascinating. In verse 37, Peter says, everyone is looking for you. He spoke more truly than he knew. Everyone is looking for Jesus, whether they know it or not. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, guess what? You're looking for him. In fact, he's looking for you, and that's why you're here. Everyone is looking for Jesus, whether they know it or not, and if you miss Jesus, you are going to turn something else into Jesus. You'll look to something else to give you the hope and meaning and purpose in your life. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? We're going to take communion this morning. Let's prepare our hearts for communion. Let's pray. So, Father God, thank you for the celebration and invitation of communion. It is a celebration of who Christ is and what he's done for us on the cross, and it is an invitation to all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God even cares, to all who are weak and fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a Savior. Thank you, Jesus that through your indispensable and terribly costly death on the cross, the Father welcomes us with open arms. If you're here this morning, you've never made a commitment to Christ, this would be a great time to do that. Acknowledge that your sins separate you from God. Believe that Christ died on the cross in your place for your sins. Confess him as Savior and Lord. Give your life to him. You can do that now in prayer by faith in him. Father, we we confess that hurry, distractedness is driven by a deep restlessness, the internal murmur of self-reproach, the inner critic. Calm our restless hearts. Heal our wounded souls. Satisfy our deepest longings. And may we hear ringing deep in our souls, in our hearts, in our lives, that we are your beloved children in whom you are well pleased. We pray these things in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. 
four stations up here. This one is a gluten-free station if you need that. But make your way up to one of these stations, grab both of the cups, take them back to your seat. I'll walk us through the process. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is He. Sing a new song to Him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. And when he gave thanks, he, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes let's drink together communion is a hitting the reset button coming back to our father through Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives nothing better So, next weekend, Luke 10, 38-42, keep your tank full. We're going to talk about that. How do you connect deeply with, with Jesus? How do you fill up your tank? How do you know when you have an empty tank? How do you know when your tank's full? And what difference will that make in our lives? I'll be up front at the end of the service, along with any available elders and leaders. If you're new, we'd love to meet you. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. If you've got any questions about what we just talked about, I'd love to try to answer those questions for you. Here's my blessing for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. Listen to me. Lift up his countenance upon you. When you look into the face of God, he's smiling. He finds pleasure in you. 
and that will give you peace. You are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. That's what you need to hear ringing in your heart. And so I pray that happens this week and transforms your life and brings rest into your life unlike you've ever experienced before. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. God bless you guys. Love you guys.